Hello, everyone. It's Jerry at the Fledge, and welcome to season two, episode 52 of Every Damn Day. And I've got a great friend, Vance, here, and we're going to talk about active heroin recovery. How are you doing today? Today, I'm a little nervous at the moment, but I'm doing well. Things have been good today, and I'm appreciative to be alive and sitting with a friend. I appreciate you, Jerry, what you do here at the Fledge and supporting uh, the organization that I align myself with, Punks with Lunch. and it's been a good morning. Well, Talked to a lot you. of addicts in the streets and, you know, remember where I came from. And yeah. it's a good day. Hopefully I can uh, spread a little hope. Yeah. I, I consider myself a hope dealer and try to share my strength, hope and experience with people who are struggling. And they realize that I, I understand. Yeah. Well, I don't know. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, the night you've had, I think, a little bit and that hope dealing in a minute. Why don't you tell us uh, a little bit about you? Like, where are you from and all that stuff? Well, I'm from Lansing. Uh, I went to school, a lot of different um, grade schools. I went to West Junior downtown. It's no longer there. And I never went to high school. I kind of went into the um, juvenile system. I come from a family of six siblings. Um, one of my sister died, uh, Nancy Beth. And, yeah, it's kind of an alcoholic father, abusive mother that was just a puritan peaceful pacifist with an open mind of all humanity and total opposite with my father who was pretty whacked out on alcohol so i was introduced to that stuff early on and it took its toll you know but i processed stuff through the years and got to a point where i'm not using i understand how to feel and to realize i can step out and ask for help and I do, I do so regularly with you know, 12 step meetings and coming here well, to the flight. Do you mind if I ask you how long you've used? Yes, I do, but well, no, <laughs> well, I started at 14, I was strung out at 14 and I kept going until I was like 33, but there was in, inter, intervals where I was incarcerated in the juvenile system, then as an adult in, into the county jails. And, after that into the prison system but i was still using in there but not as as often so yeah i've been clean this time six years i went 15 straight years and 2003 i started drinking beer then weed then oxycontin and my goal was to feel not feel what i was feeling and go back to the familiar uh, the heroin yeah it was like a mama's hug but you never you come out of it and you're still you feel worse then than you did when you started. So it's been a long road, but there's a lot of positivity in my life. It wasn't all disaster and, and trouble. There was a lot of people that encouraged me that were understanding and, and acceptable. You know, in the 60s, mid 60s, forward CIA and inundated the streets of the uh, United States, most of the poor neighborhoods. I, I grew up in the north in Alaska, but I moved to the west side and it was predominantly black and that's where the heroin landed by design i'm sure louis farrakhan expounds upon that and other scholars and spiritual leaders about how it evolved and what's become today but yeah i'm a survivor i've survived a lot of things you know heroin addiction uh, 
been shot, stabbed, kidnapped, cancer, you know, a whole bunch of things. Hep C, which is prevalent in the in the drug uh, world, sharing needles and such, and yeah. So, uh, you know, fifteen years, and then you're good for six now. That's kind of where that hope comes from, right? Because you get a lot of messages when you have a substance disorder or what have you, and a lot of messages that, you know, this is never going to be over. You, mm -hmm. This is it. This is what your life is going to be like. Mm -hmm. um, what, what do you, how do you deal that hope? You know, like I said, in, in the outset, strength, hope, and experience, you know, I, I had to experience it. I never knew how to feel. All I knew how to do was run from my feelings. You know, the trauma that was going on in my home, I left at 14 and never went back. My father finally left the house, and um, my mother was at peace, a lot better. So it was a lot of trauma there. Like I said, I didn't know how to feel. All I knew was I was just balling nerves and everything. I was, you know, constantly covering up and... Yeah, it's not healthy and I didn't have any place to go with the positive mentors to you know make help me to understand what was going on with me and it took years of you know hit and miss and a couple of people were encouraging and you know it just it just wasn't working and I didn't know how to process all that stuff and it was a big ball of confusion and you know today I still struggle you know, I have PTSD, you know, ADHD. I call it a triangle of uh, um, contention. There's a ADHD up here. Then there's the PTSD up here. Then it turns into depression. So the ADHD, you're kind of bouncing all over. And then when things happen, you know, you try to do 15 things that one is not working. You get, I get frustrated. Then the PTSD is set off with memories and, and things that, um, you know, incite the PTSD, which is, you know, it's like a gorilla on steroids, you know, shaking you up and you know, your nerves are rattled. And then when you come down off that PTSD uh, trip, you know, the depression sets in. And the depression is lessened now, although it's February in Michigan and, yeah. you know, everybody's kind of feeling it, but it, things are good today. You know, I'm not using, I don't have an inkling of a desire to use. I woke up, I, I kind of passed out studying last night. Uh, I passed the real, Michigan real estate broker's license, and but I haven't finished the um, online course to show the certification to make application for the state, as I mentioned to you a few months back. But I, I kind of passed out doing that, so it was better than passing out drunk or you know higher yeah. on drugs. But I got up at twelve or four, and I couldn't go back to sleep, and I just kept you know, ruminating about things that you know, I can't change, you know, people, places, and things. And then finally, I started exercising and breathing, and, and I got to ask me, I need to get out to the street. So I, I grabbed Narcan and clean needles and went down to Cata bus station, which is a hub for drug dealing and users. And I ran into quite a few addicts, a couple of them that we recovered. I recovered for a year, two different fellows. That was very inspirational to me, and that's why I go out there, because I don't get outside myself. I can get into a funk and stay there a while, and that's not a good spot. Yeah. So uh, did they take the Narcan? Oh, yeah, I ran out. That's why I'm over here at the Fletch today to come um, to get more in a backpack because I was walking around with a sack. And it's kind of weird because, you know, I'm down at the uh, it's a municipal place, right? They, yeah. But they got guards running around. I'm thinking, like, it sort of felt like I was dealing drugs. I mean, don't let them see what I'm doing because it's to save lives and not to destroy society. So, yeah, it's been a long day, but it's been it's been rewarding.
to get outside myself. Being selfless is so much better than being selfish. And, you know, addicts and alcoholics and anyone doing what we do in addiction, whether it's gambling or sex or whatever, it's a very selfish spot to be in. I don't want to be that person today, and I'm not. Yeah, you know, it's a joy to getting getting to know who I truly am. Even at my age, you know, we can all grow every day. To me, is is like a, a professor's lecture. You know, I learn from you every time I see you, and I learn from watching people. And it's a good day, Jerry. I appreciate you having me on here. Well, I love having you on. I always love our conversations, whether they're thirty seconds or thirty minutes. So, right. Um, what? Uh, excuse me. No problem. So. I want to I want to come back to you a little bit because yes. you were talking about how you couldn't feel and there's pain there that mm -hmm. needs to be felt mm -hmm. and feeling that pain is kind of like sticking your hand in a candle and knowing to uh, you know get away from it. How how do you now? How are you dealing with that pain now? And I don't mean to tell us all the pains and all that, but sure. what what type of things are you doing day in and day out that can help with that, mm -hmm. that other people can also do? You, you asked me earlier before we started about meditating, and I do. You know, I don't sit in my thoughts. A lot of it, like I say, is what I'm doing stuff. But I, I just try to stay focused, man. You know, I had to go back. Let me divert a little bit. I had to yeah. go back. When we moved to the west side, we lived on La Homa Street, which is a block west of... Um, MLK, and I drove by there you know, six, eight months ago, and you know, a lot of closure. You know, I had to realize that you know, I drove by our old house, and you know, I was talking to that kid that was so confused and pained, and I said, "It's not your fault," and it wasn't. You know, but I always took that shame and guilt that it must be me. You know, father was telling me that, but to deal with the pain is. It's incredible because I realized the majority of it, my mother used to say 10% is what's happening, Vance, and 90% is what you interpret. And I see that now, and that's true. And I, you know, I'm not, I'm not being abused. I'm not, you know, holding on to that stuff. I, I look at it the past is just a reference, and in, in reference point, no place to live. It's depressing. In the future is anxiety. So I had to stay in the moment. And I think just being honest. And being kind to other people where I was mean-spirited and, and, you know, I wasn't honest. I was, you know, junkies aren't honest. They're pretty deceitful uh, uh, bunch. But dealing with the pain is, you know, I talk to people. I go see a psychologist who's ADHD. He plays music and he come from a screwed up background. He's an addict. You know, he's a recovering addict and we click. You know, it's healthy for me. It's a safe spot I can go to and talk. And that's where the majority of it is. I have a, a kind woman, Bethany, my partner, and she don't come from the same background, but she understands. And I appreciate you, Bethany. I know you're out there and you know it. And, it, you know, it still hurts. The things that have happened still hurt, but I have to realize it's not happening now. And that's the importance of, you know, breathing and staying in the moment. And sometimes it's not so easy. So I think just reaching outside of myself, I live real close to the Rise Recovery Clubhouse on, on the west side. So I can walk to a meeting at any given time. And I do pretty regularly. In fact, I went there this morning after going to the bus stop in downtown around Jim Hall and such, talking, looking for addicts and, and talking to the ones that you know, I identified with. It was great. You know, I got a couple of hugs from you know, a couple of users and you know, they're talking about rehab, but they've been talking about it a while. I, you probably know who they are. But I know you do know who they are. I mean, we won't mention their names. Yeah. But, 
you know, it, it, I call it hope dealing. I, I will tell them, you know, I have to go down some myself and I think grasp other people's pain and realize that I'm not there. You know, that was yesterday and, you know, I've come further than that. So I, I hope that's a, uh, making yeah. sense as, a, well, as an answer. you know, when somebody's out there and they're using, they don't have the best support system to mm-hmm. guide them into recovery. And when they're not using and they're feeling that way, they might come in here or go mm-hmm. into rise or go to a meeting, but then there's a quick out, or at least they think there's a quick out mm-hmm. to getting rid of that pain. And whether it's pouring alcohol over mm-hmm. it or shooting up or whatever, it seems easier to go that way. But when you're there and you step in the way, maybe you can divert them just a little bit over, you know, and. Yeah, I see that, you know, because you see the spark in it when, when you know, look, man, I, I gave away everything I had. I didn't lose nothing. I gave everything. I had real estate career, you know, wife, home, you know, jewelry, all the stuff I thought would make me happy. It does not make you happy. However, I can identify with them. You know, I can see, them, you know, one wolf will recognize another. You can despise the, the active users and I, I have empathy for them, sympathy as well and yeah it, it it helps me to realize that i don't have it so bad when i'm feeling that pain and i do not constantly but there's times when you know like i said it's february in michigan man, everybody's feeling it but i don't have to go back there and stay there you know i can touch it like i say in the reference point the past but this stuff isn't happening today and that's a, a beauty about breathing as i was mentioning to you then uh, holding your breath because the immediate thing brings you right back to the present. I need to breathe. Am I going to have a heart attack? I probably should not pass out. I need to breathe. And then, you know, I'm right here in the present. And I'm not a religious person, but there's an adage that says each day is a gift from God. That's why we call it the present. And every time I open my eyes, I realize I have another gift to help somebody else to heal within my own self. Dr. Albert Schweitzer said every patient carries within themselves their own physician. It's in, you know, Tolstoy talks about that happiness doesn't come from external things. It comes from within. And I didn't realize that because I thought, you know, the money, the career, all that stuff, it didn't make me happy. I was still empty. Even though I went 15 straight years clean and sober, I didn't identify with what I needed to identify, that, the emptiness of them. And now it, it's it's full. Usually most days it's full. Of, you know, you've seen me around for yeah. some years now since you all moved to the east side and here in Lansing. But, yeah. You know, it's just like life. And I, I tell people in meetings, I say, everybody wants the mountaintop experience, man, but the richer soils in the valley, when you're down in that shit, you're feeling it, that's when you're growing. And, and it's difficult as fuck, man. It really is. But, yeah, yeah, I'm happy to be alive, man. I'm happy to be clean. I, I get high and just knowing that I'm, I'm, I'm safe. Yeah. I put myself in a good spot, and there's people who support me, yourself included, and you know, the punks and whole bunch of other people in this city, outreaches and stuff that, you know, it's encouraging. Like I said, when I go to the streets, that is an encouragement to me, you know, and I don't think of myself any better than anybody else, but I realize I'm better off, therefore I need to pay it forward, and it's a good day. Today's been fruitful. It'd be great if we could pull everybody up and get them out, right? Yeah, you can't save everyone. Then we'd have a lot of people, a lot more people to work with and move the next level up and try to win this fight against poverty and yes. oppression and all this. Yeah, yeah. Hey, let's talk about punks a little bit. Um, we are going to have Julia on the show, um, I think, April 1st. Uh, but uh, 
tell us the work you do with them and a little bit about punks. We can plug them a bunch of times. Sure, yeah, I love them, man. We got plugged at the Nut House the other night. Bethany's friend's band was playing. It's shout out to the punks lunch, you know. And well, I, I first met Julia and uh, Martin and Melissa, the core, the backbone, the heartbeat of, of punks five years ago when they first started. I'd just been in my first year of recovery and you know, I was a hot mess. I hated everything. It was everybody's fault. You know, that's addict. You know, it was their fault. Their fault. It wasn't my fault. You know, of course it was, but you're in denial. And they had a thing on Facebook saying that they were doing a riverfront cleanup over here by the um, steakhouse before you go into MSU on the Kalamazoo. They had a big encampment out there. I, I went homeless after um, I started using actively again. I gave away house, rentals, wife, car, dogs, you know, my career, all that stuff. And I just, you know, shut down. But in that first year, I was miserable. I didn't know what to do. Every five minutes, it was five minutes. I, had, I couldn't think about tomorrow because I'm like, man, I don't want to get high today. I, don't, I can't get high today. It's not an option. But I walked down the river trail and Melissa and Julia gave me some trash bag. I said, I'm here to clean. Okay, cool. You know, go down here. Where's so and so? I said, oh, cool. And I'm walking down the, bike trail i'm like there's no trash out here and i went over a berm and the whole encampment had been flooded and washed down into this gully and it was just tents and coolers and you can see, i could see their life and a lot of the people i knew that were up in there and martin come marching over the hill you know his military background hey you all right i said no i'm overwhelmed because you need a sandwich i said no i don't need a fucking sandwich i need somebody to help me i can't pick up all this she goes oh we're gonna get some help right now you know so I, I've been coming back since we started putting together sandwiches. We feed people at Rudder Park every other Saturday and set up tables down there and give out uh, sandwiches, hot food that when we have uh, hygiene kits, you know, things for everyday living uh, necessities, uh, clothing and uh, harm reduction with clean needle exchange, Narcane and so I've been coming back periodically, you know. At first, I couldn't go downtown to Rudder Park because I was running into the people that I shot Duke was sold to. And it was just too depressing. It was overwhelming. Yeah. So I'd go there and make sandwiches. And then eventually, as I grew in sobriety and grew in uh, myself, you know, becoming stronger as a person, uh, I was, I'm able to go down there now. My function is, like I said, hope dealing. I don't stand at the table and pass out sandwiches and none of that. So I go out to the with the people are hanging out and stuff. And like I said, I know some of them, and they know me and even more people now know who I am and they know my background through, you know, right. word of mouth is the best, best adverse man. And it's good. And that's what I do. I, wherever I'm led in my heart and in the spirit, you know, go, go talk to the people. I'll, I'll give you an example. I was talking to a girl, her name is Kim. And she was miserable. She, she's advanced. I, I got up this morning. I, I needed to get high and I didn't have nothing to sell. I realized I sold everything. Then I was thinking, whose stuff can I sell? And everybody don't trust me. So she's just like, I didn't even want to be alive. And I started talking to her. <clears throat> and I'm talking and it's just coming out of me. You know, the spirit's flowing through me. And she said, what did you just say? I said, I don't know. I don't know is what I needed to hear too. And she said, we both started crying. I had to get up and Bethany and her kids were over there. And I just wanted to, I need a hug, you know, like, but it's incredible because it, it, the calling isn't from me. It is like, I'm a pretty selfish person as most human beings are, but I, I've learned to become selfless by listening to this spirit. And I think that's important in my life and everyone's life to be, you know, balanced spirit, soul, and body. 
And if you're not, and I wasn't spiritually fit, you know, demons jumping all over me, shoot, no, you know, go get drunk. No, that's not happening. And I've become more rounded, you know, as human and as a man. And it's a good day, Jerry. I, yeah. I'm kind of trailing off with the ADD, but. No, you're not. I no, love what you're talking about. Thank but you. So, you know, you were out using and in the streets for a long time. Mm -hmm. What, you know, obviously your childhood, I'm not talking about that. What is a community could we have done better to support you and help you? Oh man, it was different times. There was none of this going on back then, really. There was there was a few things. There was a, a woman named Ernestine McMullen, one of the founding feminists, one of the founding uh, people who initiated uh, substance abuse training you know, getting with people to uh, open rehabs and the methadone clinic, which I don't support whatsoever. It's the worst drug in the world. If the government supports it, they probably shouldn't take it. And they do. Anybody who walk in there, it's worse than heroin. And it has a longer lasting effect than titration. But Ernestine McMullen, I went to school with her son and daughter, and they found her son in the river. And he was using drugs, but he was murdered. And But she was a sweetheart. And she had that was probably the only place in town that you could actually go to where people were accepting of you especially at a young age and that's where my initial spark of hope came from i didn't get clean and sober at all but i seen the love in her because i knew her and she was you know i seen what she did in the community and it takes community activists like yourself who are willing to sacrifice your own life and to step up and stand up for people that everybody wants to you know they're, they're discarded you know you see people out here in the streets you know most of them are mentally ill but they're traumatized like myself and have mental afflictions like myself you know ADHD, PTSD, and such but people want to discard that you know back when i was coming up i have a brother that is schizophrenic he's been in adult foster care since like 1971 but he wouldn't never go to sleep he just kept doing speed and speed and speed and he just flipped out and no one talked about mental health. Even my own family, uh, we've seen it, but we didn't know what the hell to do. Nobody, we didn't talk about it. It was just at different times. Now it's everywhere. You know, there's help everywhere. And it, it's good, but yeah, that's basically, it was a different time. It was like Neanderthal times, man. And people were backward. And now it's more accepting and more understanding because. You know, the rich people got kids that are all strung out. And, you know, it's, it isn't just the poor people and the people, of, you know, beautiful melanin, you know, yeah. full, full, full of melanin, man. And, you know, I grew up on the west side. I didn't grow up until I was 33 and got clean and sober. But I grew up in the north end and I ran with mostly Mexicans and Indians. And when I moved to the west side, I was the only kid in class that didn't have an afro in 1966, you know, sixth grade. And it was like, wow. But they were accepting of me, most of them. It was like seven of us in the school that weren't black. So it, it, I got a different uh, glance, a glimpse of uh, society from the real side. You know, these, these kids were like me. They yeah. weren't no different. They were just beautifully, you know, chocolate chips, man. They were cool as hell. And, and I still have friends today. In fact, one of them is an active user, and you know, I, I try to keep in touch with them, clean needles. And I love it, man. We used to run together back in the day, and I'm I'm, I'm happy he's still alive. Most of my friends, actually, every one of them that I ran with are gone. You know, not just from overdose murders, and, you know, and just wore their bodies out. 
alcohol addiction as such, but you know, I'm a survivor, cancer survivor, hepatitis C, shooting, stabbing, incarceration, cancer. I said that. So, yeah. Well, as we uh, kind of start to wrap up, what's something that anybody who's listening, whether they're using or they're supporting a user, not supporting, but, you know, they're they're there for them. Mm-hmm. Um, even supporting, whatever that sure, means. Sure. Anybody supportive. Yeah. Um, what what's something that somebody could do today that could help just a little bit? And if we all did it, it becomes this flood of help or hope. Man, let's reach out to the first person you see every day. Say a kind word. You don't know who you're gonna touch. Compliment on their shoes, you know, just be there. Be there. The human connection is, is pretty much fragmented at this point, you know, especially with 2020 and COVID and, and the the heartbeat of or the temperature of the political scene is just, you know, it's meant to be it's like a Machiavellian mentality where they separate the masses and they can control and the fear is the thing. Don't be afraid to reach out and touch them. And most people want that, but we don't know how to say it. I never know how to say, hey, can you hug me? Can you can you just sit down and talk to me? And that's one thing I always liked about you when I, when I came around. You were always available, even though you're busy as hell, bouncing out the ball like a ping pong ball. You know, like, how does he do this stuff? But I think that people just need to realize that we're all the same. We're humans. And there is, a, and to me, there is no race. There's only one race, and it's human. There's a lot of uh, melanin uh, color phobias, but there's only one race. And we, just be accepting of others and reach out. There's all kinds of uh, resources worldwide now where, like I say, when I came up, there wasn't, none of that stuff was going on. I shouldn't say none of it. It was very little that was obvious. And so just reach out and touch yourself, man. Not yourself. <laughs> a little, a little, uh, the, the show's going reach to out. now. <laughs> yeah, it's gone. We, we need to off the air. So, yeah, just reach out and touch someone, man. You know, see someone out there just talk to people it's, it, it, the human connection is, is is the most powerful thing there is as you know and i guess that's yeah. what it, i love what I you're see. saying can you imagine being surrounded with everybody that you run into today is full of hope and that hope builds really like drops of water build a river mm-hmm. hope builds a little smile at a time a compliment at a time even eye contact when exactly. you know the guy's holding the sign, everyone's acting like they're on their phone and twerking the radio or whatever. Right, right. Yeah. Well, good advice. Thank you. We cover everything. No, but we we got a good start, Jerry. Something. I'll be back. You know, we'll I don't know about on this podcast, right. but you know, I'll be around. Well, thank you so very much I for everything you, that you're doing. I love you too. And shout out to Punks with Lunch. And yes. Love seeing you around. Thanks for doing Thanks. the show. We love y'all. Have a great day today, and we will see you tomorrow on another Every Damn Day. See ya.